following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is a show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are on Rotten Tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2006's Deja Vu, directed by Tony Scott, starring Denzel Washington, Val Kilmer, Paula Patton, Bruce Greenwood, James Caviezel, and Adam Goldberg. Deja Vu is a 2006 action thriller film with elements of crime and science fiction. This film currently holds a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? In Algiers, New Orleans, after the explosion of a ferry transporting the sailors from the USS Nimitz and their families with 543 casualties, a lonely AFT agent Doug Harlan is assigned to investigate the terrorist attack without any lead. Yeah, it says AFT. This is Claudio again? Claudio, you did it again. Claudio, you did it again. Without any lead, he is informed by Sheriff Reed about a corpse of a woman that was found one hour before the explosion, but burnt with the same explosive. He is invited by FBI agent... Perwara to join the surveillance team headed back by Jack McCready in the investigations using a time window and Einstein Rosenbridge through seven satellites to look back four and a half days in time. He discloses the identity of the mysterious dead woman called Claire Kutcher and decides to follow her last moments trying to find the criminal. Along the surveillance, Doug falls in love for Claire and tries to change destiny, saving her life. Okay, tonight's episode was sponsored by Ray and Ray writes in and says, Hi guys, love the podcast. I joined in at about the seventh or eighth episode and have since listened to every one. I figure it's worth at least one dollar per episode, so my donation is forthcoming. So here's my request for a movie review. Deja Vu starring Denzel Washington. It's the only movie I've ever been to where right as the movie ended I heard someone under their breath but still loud enough to those directly around him to hear say, what the fuck? People within a 10-foot radius of this guy just busted up. (laughs) Keep up the awesome podcast. I can't get enough. Okay, Deja Vu, what is your history with this? I saw this one of those sleepless nights, went downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) You're tossing and turning in your bed all night? Yeah, yeah, I had a nightmare, and I came downstairs with my jammies on. and You're having night terrors. (laughs) (laughs) I pissed myself wildly, (laughs) and it crawled downstairs. (laughs) Turned on HBO and this was on. Your piss crawled downstairs? (laughs) No, I pissed myself wildly and then Uh, I crawled downstairs. Okay. Anyway, I watched this. Caught it really late at night on HBO. You mean the home box office? It's the very same. It was all right. I've never seen this before. Yeah, me neither. I remember the trailer. Mm -hmm. This is a movie that when I saw the trailer for it, I'm like, you know what? This looks like the movie I might enjoy, but I just never got around to seeing it. So I was kind of looking forward to seeing it for, for this. Yeah, I actually was excited to watch this. Okay, so let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one. We'll see how you thought they did. First up, Denzel Washington. Denzel did an all right job in this movie. He's a good actor. He played to his strengths in this movie for sure. He was authoritative and he plays a lot of roles like that. So I think he came off pretty good. Yeah, I mean, this is not his first time playing this kind of role, but he no. does it really, really well. I mean, from the first minute, like I'm rooting for this guy. Yeah. Like, I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he did a good job in this movie. I yeah. like them. Very good stuff. Mm-hmm. Next up, the triumphant return. Not only is he back on 
on our fine show, but this is now the second post-Katrina law enforcement movie that we've done for this podcast starring Val Kilmer. We finally got fat Val Kilmer, and I couldn't be happier to get him on this show. I love this guy. I actually wrote down when he appeared on screen, fat Val Kilmer. (laughs) Man, you guys... This is this is his first movie as Fat Val Kilmer. This is legendary. He was good. I liked him a lot. Yeah, no, yeah, he was he was good. He was really movie. good. He brought home the bacon. I sure did. To Kevin Bacon and Hollow Man. <laughs> Kevin, did you fall in love with Val Kilmer all over again? Yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. It reminded you of his Batman days, right? You Absolutely. Were, you were so excited. Remember, I remember Batman. He was so good. I remember that movie. <laughs> he was great in that movie. <laughs> Okay, next up, Paula Patton. I found her very attractive. She was like a young Halle Berry. The best kind of Halle Berry. Yeah, this girl was really good. She's, I think she's like a newcomer, right? I've never seen her before. Yeah, me neither. Um, I thought she did a really good job. She held her own up against Denzel Washington. Yeah. That's, that's no easy that, feat. Yeah, that's hard to do. Oh, Kevin, this next actor, Kevin fell in love with him when he went toe-to-toe with Dennis Quaid in Frequency. James Caviezel. <laughs> James, he's Jim Caviezel to me. <laughs> now and forever always. He he, um, he's really good at playing this kind of like crazy person. Like this... Uh, psycho sick lunatic? Yeah, he's good at playing a, a psycho. Like that dead eye stare. Like he's got that down. Like Jesus Christ? Yeah, he's real. Yeah, exactly. He's re- <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he played the same character uh, in Passion of the Christ. How <laughs> oh, blasphemous. Jim Caviezel was really good. All right, that's it. I don't need to talk about anybody else. I don't care for these other people. Even Adam Goldberg? Yeah, the Hebrew Hammer was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great movie. Who cares? <laughs> that is a great movie. This the is Hebrew Adam Hammer? Goldberg's Toward the Force. <laughs> wow. He plays the same character in every movie. It's this guy. He's good at it. Oh, did you notice who the other technician guy was? He was from uh, Butterfly Effect, right? Yeah, he was Fat Kid Senior Senior <laughs> in the Butterfly Effect. Okay, that's it. Let's get into the brief history of Deja Vu. Why do you do that? I don't get it. Shouldn't that be with like a French accent? <gasps> oh, we, 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 we. That's French? Not a French stereotype, a French accent. <laughs> All right, you do it. Go ahead. All right, look at that. It's so easy to criticize and complain. It's the motto of yes, that bad. I forgot I wasn't on the internet. I was just going to blindly complain at something. Yeah. By the way, let me get this out there right now before we get begin. This is one of those movies where the whole thing is structured around a plot twist. So if you don't want this spoiled, if you have any interest in ever seeing this movie, I highly recommend you not listen to this first. You should go out and watch it first. I think it's going to be safe to say that we're all going to say that, right? It's it's This movie's worth seeing. Yeah, no. This- oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this is a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we get into our review, I just want to say, I highly recommend you watch it first before you listen to this, because we're going to spoil the hell out of this, and this movie is a lot more fun to watch when you don't know what's going on. Absolutely. Okay, the idea of a time travel thriller film originated between screenwriters Bill Marsili and Terry Rossio, who communicated via email in attempts to develop the plot. Because of communication difficulties, however, the creation of Deja Vu's progenitor was set aside by the September 11, 2001 attacks that 
disrupted the New York native Marsili. And the advent of the Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl film, which occupied Los Angeles native Rossio. However, by 2006, the two screenwriters had completed the concept, having worked alongside Brian Greene from Columbia University to create a scientifically plausible feel to the script. The screenwriters submitted their work to Jerry Bruckheimer, who, with Tony Scott, was searching for new ideas for a feature film. Principal photography in New Orleans, Louisiana, was delayed following Hurricane Katrina because of the devastation caused by the storm and the collapse of the levees. Many of the exteriors were set to be shot in New Orleans, including a key sequence involving the Canal Street Ferry across the Mississippi River. After the city was reopened, the cast and crew returned to New Orleans to continue filming. Some scenes of the post-Katrina devastation were worked into the plot, including those in the Lower Ninth Ward. Additionally, evidence of Katrina's impact on the city was worked into the script. To create a sense of realism, Scott and Washington interviewed numerous men and women whose real-life occupations pertain to positions in the Federal Bureau of Investigations and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Washington notes that he and Scott had conducted similar research during the production of Man on Fire and Crimson Tide. Denzel Washington enjoyed a brief break during the production to congratulate his son on signing with the St. Louis Rams on May 1st, 2006, as an undrafted free agent. The explosion of the stump was filmed using an actual New Orleans ferry in a portion of the Mississippi River sectioned off, especially for the event. The occurrence took over four hours to prepare under the supervision of pyrotechnics expert Jean Frazier. The ferry was coated entirely with fire retardant and rigged with 50 gasoline bombs, including black dirt and diesel, each one set to detonate within a five-second range. People and cars were added in later as elements of computer-generated graphics. The spectacular explosion actually caused no significant structural damage to the ferry. After a bout of sandblasting and repainting, the ferry was very similar to its previous state. The ferry was returned to service four days after the production of the film scene concluded. Tony Scott and Val Kilmer had shirts made for the crew that said, Malcolm X, Jesus Christ, and Jim Morrison, Deja Vu. How can we fail? Denzel Washington... <laughs> Denzel Washington played Malcolm X and Malcolm X, James Caviezel played Jesus Christ in The Passion of the Christ, and Kilmer played Jim Morrison in The Doors. Near the end of the car chase, Doug originally said, Jesus, as their first seeing Orstadt's face. This caused the audience at the first preview screening to erupt into laughter, as Jim Caviezel, who played Orstadt, is famous for playing Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. This unintentional reference had gone overlooked by the director, Tony Scott. He had the line removed from the film before its release. Deja Vu was nominated for the Saturn Award in the category Best Science Fiction Film but lost to Children of Men. Oof. Yeah, no, not being that. No way. Paula Patton, who played Claire Kutchever, was nominated for Best Breakthrough Performance for the Black Reel Awards. Okay, Martin, this movie had a budget of $75 trillion. <laughs> <laughs> how much did it make worldwide? 150 That's a good question. Kevin, how much did it make worldwide? 180 right? Ah, Kevin got it. What a surprise. He, how did he figure it out? How did he get it? It's almost as if he wrote these notes. The world may never know. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> so, as you may or may not be aware, Martin, this movie was directed by Tony Scott. Well, Tony Scott was recently in the news. Yeah, Tony Scott recently committed suicide, unfortunately. What are great directors, I guess, of, of action movies, right? I mean, Top Gun. This is kind of interesting. This is a first for us. I mean, he just passed away, yeah. and we didn't pick this movie. Somebody else did. Some, mm-hmm. This is a sponsored movie. So it just kind of happened to coincide with it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing another one of his movies in a couple weeks, Man on Fire. Yeah. yeah. So we're doing a little Tony Scott retrospective here. All right. So let's get into it. Martin, you may not realize this. <laughs> I was going to keep saying that. <laughs> but Tony Scott, director of this movie, <laughs> <Yeah>. passed away. <laughs> but unlike. I'm having deja vu. Oh. Whoa. 
get out. <laughs> you can leave. <laughs> Unlike some films like Doom or Doom or a little movie called Doom starring The Rock, this movie actually starts. It just begins. There's no opening narration. There's no text. There's no voiceover. Flashback. No... I was lost. Yeah. I didn't know what what year was this. When I didn't know when or where this was taking place. I've gotten to the point now where I can't watch a movie unless someone holds my hand and tells <laughs> no, me exactly. step by step what's happening, what's going on. <laughs> it's become a crutch now. I need to know everything up front. You started panicking when this movie started, right? Like, exactly. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> It was very stressful early on. I didn't know he was in New Orleans until an hour and 15 minutes in the movie when he said, New Orleans. And I was like, oh, New Orleans police. They're in New Orleans. Yeah, I didn't say at the bottom. The city that never sleeps. (laughs) New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans, the Big Apple. The big, yeah, the big apple. It starts off with a bunch of Navy men. They're on shore leave. They're on a boat dancing around. They're moving. They're grooving like that perfect storm. They're on this boat. Everything's going great Mm -hmm. until, uh (laughs) uh-oh. They're having a good time, but they didn't want to have a blast. So there's a security guard of some sort. He's walking around on the, the bottom of the ferry where all the cars are. And he notices this SUV and it's loaded with bombs. Too little too late. Yeah, not enough time. Yep, boom. The thing explodes. It completely incinerates everybody on board. I mean, they made it look like some of the people survived. I mean, because they landed in the water and yep. they were swimming around. Yeah. But later on, he was like 10 trillion people perished aboard this boat. They say something like 500 people died, right? Yeah. 549 people. That's a lot. Of, I didn't think there was that many people on that boat, but whatever. It's weird, right? I mean, it was really tense kind of seeing this happen, being like seeing that this car was loaded with explosives. I guess like I felt a little weird watching this now that I don't think I would have felt, I don't know. In 1999? Yeah. Really? I was surprised by that. Why? You mean the terrorism angle? Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of tainted almost now. Like it's used to be just like, hey, it's fun explosions. And now I I don't know, maybe because I'm getting older, a little wiser. Oh, okay. 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 I looked, it it affected me more than than I would have expected it to. I feel that way about a lot of things these days. Like when there's gratuitous violence in movies. Mm-hmm. When I was a wee lass, I would have thought that was hilarious. I, back in high school, like ha ha ha, look at these people getting slaughtered. But today, I'm like, ugh. Yeah, it's not. It's not funny. It's it's uh, something's in bad taste. I mean, this wasn't. I no, this wasn't was, like that. This wasn't like that. But. but yeah, it affected me more than I expected. It looked really good. It did. I mean, right off the break, like you can tell these are professionals. Okay, so they show this explosion scene. Denzel Washington rolls up, and the cameras are flying wildly during this scene. It's they a are Scott touch. Yeah, they're spinning around. This didn't have the flashing lights and colors like Man on Fire does. No, I was no. thankful for because I hate that stuff. I appreciated the this touch. It really gives Michael Bay a run for his money. Mm. I liked it. it. It seemed to have, like, give the sense of urgency that you'd have in a situation like that. Like, they kind of like, you know, everything's kind of spinning out of control. Yeah. And all these emergency people are coming and dealing with this situation. I thought it was a pretty good touch. Okay, so then the Washington shows up. He finds some mysterious residue under the bridge. He's like, oh, he does some detective work. Kevin, you must have loved this stuff because you said you really loved this police procedural stuff. People solving cases and finding clues. And I, I did like this stuff on the bridge. It was pretty cool. I liked when he jumped up on the railing. And, he, and he, Val, Kil- Val Kilmer had to hold his hand. Yeah, he's like, hey, spot me, right? <laughs> he jumps up on the, this paper-thin railing that's 300 miles up in the air. Yeah. It's pretty cool. This bridge is an orbital bridge. He's hovering around <laughs> in the upper atmosphere. And Denzel Washington jumps up on the rail. Yeah, this is a good stuff. They find the body 
body, this dead woman, and when he goes to the morgue, they realize something interesting. Even though that she's been burned to death, the coroner says that she died an hour before the boat blew up. This autopsy was super inappropriate for a lot of reasons. Oh, yeah? I don't know if you guys noticed, but he first he looks at her in a very creepy way, and then he touches the side of her hand and her body and then licks his finger and goes, mm, Diesel. He did do that. Did he just indirectly lick a corpse? <laughs> That was weird. He he pushed. He, he does like you know when you would go up to a person, you'd be like shh, and you press your fingers on their lips. He does that to this dead woman, and they do this extreme Ren and Stimpy style close up. <laughs> <laughs> and when he pulls his finger away, all this goo, this long sticky strand, is gooping off of her mouth. It's very suggestive. What did what did you guys think immediately when that was happening? I know what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I've, I let my imagination run wild. <laughs> 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 that was unintentional. Yeah, it was. Okay, so she has been, apparently her mouth was taped shut. She was gag and bound. He doesn't think that she was murdered in the explosion. Yeah, her fingers are missing, but they weren't blown off in the blast. It was too clean of a cut. They must have been sliced off by some sort of cutting tool of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> So we're getting set up with all these mystery clues, all these weird things that don't make any sense. And all this stuff gets answered later on in the movie. It's an interesting structure. I kind of like the way that this movie is set up. I loved it. So Denzel Washington goes to this woman's house, which, by the way, I don't think he had a warrant. At no point did he get a warrant. He just breaks into this dead woman's house and starts touching things. I mean, as far as, like, police procedurals go, the letter of the law goes out the window. And I'm okay with that. Unless it's law and order, I'm okay with it. Let me ask you this. In this movie, I think I saw Denzel Washington, like, talking on people on the phone like a million times. Every time he was on the phone with somebody, he would just shut the phone off. He would just close it while somebody was in the middle of their sentence. He never said goodbye. <laughs> yeah. He never said thank you. Just like click and he walked away. He did it like 20,000 times. He's too busy to listen to the rest of the people's thoughts. <laughs> He's the only detective in the ATF. Yeah. I He's the only common one. In movies, they do that stuff. You're right. He's the only ATF. There's only one a- member of the ATF. It's Denzel Washington. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he's in her apartment. He's looking around. We get some catch him, kill him action. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where there's some magnetic letters <laughs> that are that say you can save her. I immediately was like, oh, man. Catch him, kill him. Catch him, kill him. Kill him. And we, we, we revisit this you can save her thing a hundred times. Anytime a movie can reference the Amityville horror, I'm down. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so Denzel Washington then contacts this woman's father. And I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. He tells this woman's father that she died. He doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't really This care. guy was one of the worst he actors might. I've ever seen on earth. He just he just did not care that his daughter died. Yeah, he was awful. Awful. He's, He's a man. Oh, you're right. Only babies cry over their dead children like the doctor and That's saw. what you guys have taught me. <laughs> Only weak, weak men weep over the corpses of their loved ones. He looks like Billy Bob Thornton from Sling Blade. He did. Almost identical. He did. Like a poor man's version. The poorest man's version of Billy Bob Thornton's Sling Blade. homeless man's. He Billy was a hobo Sling Blade. He was terrible. He was absolutely terrible. His line deliveries fell flat with a thud. Every time his- He was a grieving were... father. He, yeah? He wasn't grieving. I'd rather Because he's a, a man. Yeah, I'd rather have a weak, weak man acting here than this flaccid- He was stoic. Yeah, so before Denzel Washington went into this woman- 
person's house. He got a phone call from somebody while he was out of the office and he got that person's number and then he called them back to return the phone call. They didn't answer so he left a message on the answering machine. Hours later when he goes to this woman's house he's listening to her messages on her machine and the last message on the machine is himself. And this blows his mind. He's like whoa what's going on here? Yeah. So this leads him to believe that she didn't die in the fairy explosion and that her death was only set up to look like that as a cover up for something. Mm -hmm. So again this mystery plot is slowly building itself up. There's some nice suspense in this. It's pretty good the way this is all coming together. Absolutely. So Denzel Washington he figures all this stuff out. The whole time they're like hey Denzel where's your partner? Where's your partner? Where's your partner? Where is he? What's going on with him? He's supposed to be on vacation but apparently uh oh. Denzel Washington looks over he sees the guy's car and ooh sorry buddy. I guess your partner was on the boat all along. He perished in flame and there was nothing you can do to stop it. <laughs> yeah he finds out his partner died. He took that pretty well I thought. Yeah he was laughing and laughing it up. Just moving. Yeah, there, yeah <laughs> he, he started was, snapping he his fingers. Dancing. dancing moving grooves. Like, yeah he's dead. Woo! The leader of the investigation for the FBI looks over at Fat Kilmer and goes what do you think? I think he's smart. Yeah I like him too. Let's get him on. It turns out that they're going to sign him on to a super secret top black op level <laughs> you got any more <laughs> covert ops covert ops restricted investigation. Would you say that Top Secrets is involved in this somehow? <laughs> Top Secrets wishes he could get involved in something this secret, but he can't. Yeah, so Val Kilmer takes down to Washington this secret government base, not unlike that one with which was found in Hollow Man, and he meets the ragtag team of scientists that are in charge of monitoring this super secret satellite array thing, which is like what they had in Enemy of the state. An enemy of the state times 10 trillion, right? Kevin, why don't you describe what this machine they have is? Well, they're basically watching this giant monitor and they're, they're kind of zooming in, they're moving the camera around and it's explained that they're looking four days and six hours into the past. That They have this running footage of that specific time frame. Yeah, Denzel Washington is like, wait a minute, how is it possible that you can rotate found footage from surveillance cameras like this with such clarity? And they're like, oh, we have these satellites in space that are pointing down and blah, 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 blah. It was... They can see through walls. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. This... I was having a lot of trouble with this, so... It, the explanation was extra stupid. Yeah, they had... You this, didn't see through it immediately? Well, no. Well, I was trying to go along with the movie, and what they were feeding me, I hated it. I hated it a lot. Oh, I knew immediately that they were lying to him. Yeah, so did I. It was very obvious. Yeah, they had this device that it can literally see through walls. I'm like, wait a minute. A satellite can see through walls and pick up audio perfectly. And yeah, the audio. Read text. They could read text off paper. Like, it was nothing. The fact that they couldn't fast forward or rewind, I mean, that's... That's a dead giveaway. That's a giveaway. This isn't footage on a tape somewhere, right? Something else going on here. It's a little more sinister at play. Absolutely. Well, given the answer that they gave him, I thought that was the stupidest idea ever. Gotcha. It, yeah, and if I was Denzel Washington, I'd be pretty pissed off too. But like, you guys are idiots. Tell me the truth. Yeah, I mean, I thought that they handled this pretty realistically, right? Like, that's what they would feed someone like him. Yeah. They would tell him some BS answer like that. Probably. And then he, being an intelligent person, would be very doubtful, which he is immediately. Because the explanation is transparent and ludicrous. Would you trust Adam Goldberg? With my life. Wow, okay. The As, Hebrew hammer. Yeah, I would, I would trust him. The actor, not the scientist version he's playing. Uh -oh, the scientist version right. is good too. I'm specifically referring to the actor. I would trust him with my life. What about Fat Kid Senior Senior? <laughs> 
That no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Kevin, I wouldn't you? trust him to watch a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What does that even mean? Is that a euphemism? Well, anyway, this device that they have is probably the most extreme violation of civil liberties I've ever seen. Ever. I, Im- I immediately thought of Martin. I mean, he could take his voyeurist- voyeurism to new heights. Such a- an amazing level. That was me crumpling up all my plans <laughs> for voyeurism. <laughs> now that you've exposed me and outed me. Kevin, you had no right. You had no right to out my voyeur ways. <laughs> Put away that telescope. <laughs> I was crumpling up my telescope. <laughs> <laughs> Remember in the Dark Knight, that absurd thing where he was like, I have every cell phone in yep. the world. Yep. I can see through it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said, right? <laughs> that was silly. That was just silliness. It was. So this is like that times a trillion. Yep. As they, the, the way that they explained it. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly like that. The way yep. that they explained it. I was like, man, the ACLU would have 10 heart attacks over this, right? That's why this is a super secret, covert, blacklisted, black ops, covert operation. All right. It's a top secret level. The top secret level clearance <laughs> is required to get access to this information. And okay, so they're using this device to spy on this woman. They're, they're in super voyeurism mode. I mean, they're watching her naked and showering. Yeah, they are. every angle. They're rotating the video. They're like zooming on her left nipple. Now, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Rewind that. <laughs> Vantage point. You said that this, that this can record? <laughs> Absolutely. Do it. Kevin, how do you feel about knowing that the government has technology that allows them to view you having sex with people and you don't even know it and they're watching you and laughing. It's not just the U.S. military. It's the military spy technology is being used by Val Kilmer and Denzel oh, Washington. Val Kilmer's watching you poo-poo <laughs> without your knowledge. While he's eating a sandwich. <laughs> this would be the biggest public outrage ever, right? Could you imagine if, if, if people found out World this was a real wide, thing? Worldwide outrage. The other nations, war would break out over this, right? Like that's, this is war-worthy. Yeah, it like, is. Like this device deserves to be in the hands of everybody. Or nobody. Or nobody at all, right? Better yeah. to have it, nobody have it. Yeah. Still, how do you feel about Val Kilmer watching you have sex? <laughs> <laughs> it's an exciting time to be alive, right? You'd completely change the way you live your life, right? Knowing that Val Kilmer was always watching yeah, me? Specifically Val Kilmer. No I, one else but him. I, I wouldn't want to disappoint him. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the off chance that he might find you with his with his camera. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the idea that he that he watches over everyone all at once. <laughs> He's God now. That's what he says when he turns the machine on. <laughs> okay, so there is some ridiculous stuff going on with this machine. They're using facial recognition technology to identify bags and Oh my god, can you go, go do that? Do that. This is this makes what they did in stealth look like the height of realism. <laughs> Do you remember Stealth? No. Yeah. I no. burned it I, from my memory. I, I saw that movie. Do you remember that facial recognition song that they had? I remember that movie. Instantaneous. That. They were 10 trillion billion miles in space, and they were able to pull a fingerprint off of a wall somewhere. That looks like hyper-realism to what is about to happen in this movie. Did you see Fast Five? No. Did they do the same thing? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so this, look, this bag is identified in this constant time stream that they're looking at. Then... Oh, no. They find the mad bomber. They, but they find him by using the grainiest, dirtiest security camera ever. Right. It's like a camera to an ATM, and he's all the way in the distance in the background. They he's can't like, see zoom his in. Is that a bag? Yeah, zoom in on his bag. Enhance. Enhance. Like, okay, great. So they have a picture of his bag
bag. And then it was a watch. And it's like, hey, you guys have facial recognition software? Of course you do, bro. <laughs> Let's use it. Let's facial recognize that handbag and cross-reference it to every bag on planet Earth. Okay. Do, 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 click, clack, paddywhack. Ten <laughs> seconds later, they found the bag somewhere. They identified it to previous footage of the bag that they had found on the bridge earlier. As if no one else has ever used this kind of bag ever. Like, they don't mass-produce these things. No, no, there was only... This was made by Monica Lewinsky. It's one of her one-of-kind handbags. All right, wow. Jeez. I'm gonna stretch here a little bit. Yeah, limber up. <sighs> My computer. Oh, yeah? You have pictures on it in Windows Gallery. I don't know, whatever it's called. Windows 3.1. It DOS? Yeah, in DOS. DOS when, I, when I boot up in DOS. <laughs> <laughs> It has it has facial recognition software. <laughs> I put up a DOS and has facial recognition. <laughs> Facerec.exe. <laughs> okay, go on. Go on. Go on. And there sometimes it picks things that aren't faces. Like it, it will just find an object that it thinks is a face. Facebook does and this now. I too. if I say that that's a person, it will find other things that look just like that. It's actually pretty impressive. And that's just my personal laptop. They've got a super duper wormhole computer here yeah. with the, the processing power of Amazon, I'm assuming. All of Amazon? Yes. They, yeah, they use Amazon's cloud service. Okay, so Denzel Washington, he's seeing all this stuff go on. They're spying on this woman. They're spying on this woman and she is getting getting the sense that somebody is watching her. He He's insinuating that she can tell that they're watching her, so he kind of knows that this is not them watching satellite cross-referenced footage from, you know, four and a half days prior. So he takes a laser pointer and shines it through the image, and it transmits directly back to when this is happening or where this is happening, and it shuts everything down. I thought this was awesome. It was great. This is an awesome scene. I was really surprised by this, right? He shines a laser pointer through the monitor, mm-hmm. and the, the red dot appears on this woman's lamp and she sees it and she reacts. She's like, what the hell? Yep. And then everything just goes crazy. I thought that was awesome. All the scientists go nuts and Denzel Washington is just sitting there with his arms crossed, all pissed off. <laughs> He's pouting. Understandably. <laughs> Something I mean, breached the field. Something breached the field. That breached the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he slams the laser pointer on it. The, they're like, oh, well, oh, this laser pointer, they're like, you can't do that. That didn't happen. He's like, I just did it. <laughs> like, like they're still lying to him when he just literally did that. They're still trying to lie to him. Okay, so they, they come clean. Finally, they clear the air, mm-hmm. which is what I wish we would do here. Yes, at Bad World Headquarters once in a while, clear this fart cloud out of here so I could breathe easy for once. They clear the air and they say, all right, buddy, let me reason with you. We built an Event Horizon style wormhole. And then he does the exact same thing from Event Horizon where he picks up a piece of paper and he folds it in half. Yeah, so apparently what they're doing is that they're bending the universe in upon itself so the present can see into the past but only four days and six hours ago yeah i mean they explained this this happened by accident and that's why it's four days six hours it's not like they wanted that yeah this just happened and they kept it open they didn't want to close it they don't even know how it works no idea i like this factor too right now i'm at a four and i could see the potential of a five out of this movie at this moment really uh, yeah that's how invested i am in this movie as soon as this happens this can there's a potential here for a five with this. Whoa, Kevin. Do you think it gets there? <sighs> Dropping bombs. I don't know. Wow. Okay, so all this technology really begs the question for me. Is this really the most useful way to use a wormhole? Like, really, of all the potential ways to use this to help humanity, this is it? Is to solve a crime? What would you use it for? Win the I'd, lottery? No. You just win the lottery every day? <laughs> yes, I'd win every day. <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be suspicious. No, it wouldn't be suspicious at all. I'm just saying, surely studying this thing and allocating all of our energy into understanding how it works is a way more useful and potentially life-saving endeavor than having the FBI carted around in a tube. I like the idea that they just don't, they don't know how they did this. It's beyond it's beyond their minds at this point, and it's like we don't know what to do with this. This was an accident. Yeah, they're, they're figuring it out as they go along. Yeah, this is this is the best thing that they can do with it right now. This movie feels like a better version of Source Code. A way, way better version. Source Code. Remember Source Code? Unfortunately. Okay, so at this point, Denzel Washington wants to try and contact them to let them know what's going to happen. He claims that he spent his entire life catching bad people after they do bad things. For once in his life, he wants to get the bad people before they do the bad thing. I love this. Could you imagine being him? I mean, that's what your whole job is, right? You're cleaning up the mess that these people leave, and now for a change, you think you can actually stop it before it happens? That's Minority Report stuff, right? And that's awesome. You know, I really thought a lot about Minority Report during this movie. And it really made me wish that that movie had adopted this storyline a little bit of the future thing was kind of an accident, not the whole precogs thing. Yeah, okay. Which is kind of ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit much for you, huh? Yeah, I mean, if you you compare the the two movies, I mean, this this looks a lot more realistic than precogs. No, it was. Okay, so Denzel Washington wants to try and change the future. The Hebrew Hammer tries to drop some knowledge on him, and he delivers a line which I think opens a segue to a great conversation. He says, look, God has made up his mind on this. She is going to die. He's made up his mind. It already happened. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. He's like, can we send anything back there? And I like the reason that they gave, too. It's like, you can't send any, like, a person can't go back because the electrical field, it shuts down any electrical waves, and that's Mm -hmm. your brain, your heart, everything. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Radio waves get scrambled. I don't know. Light gets through. Couldn't, you know, when I was a kid, I had a laser pointer that had custom caps. Yeah. So you put one on, it'd be like a smiley face or like yeah. a naked lady bending over or something. <laughs> Couldn't they etch a message on a light pen and like shine it through? It's a really good question. Of course. How would you react to that? That's a really good question. I guess you don't know, right? I mean, until it happens. You can say, oh yeah, I, I'd, I'd believe it. Here's a serious question. And I've, I've often wondered about this. Let's say one day you come into your apartment and you find a note on your desk or whatever. And it's clearly written in your own handwriting mm-hmm. and it's dated in the future and it's saying and it's telling you to do stuff. Would you do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, at this point in my life, I'm like, whatever this thing says to do. But what if it's like, As long as it's within reason. Yeah. If it's like, you have to kill him and burn the body. No, I can't know? do that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, future Kevin. I can't do it. <laughs> and then you end up going in the future and be like, damn, I should have listened. <laughs> Look, at... <sighs> At that point, if I see something that's telling me to kill people, I'm going to err on the side that I've completely lost my mind. But what if it says catch him and kill him? <laughs> oh, well, then I have to. <laughs> yeah, but I've often wondered about that. Like, what if you met yourself, like your own double from the future, and he came back and he started talking to you and telling you things and telling you to do things? Where we're leaders of industry? Yeah, when we're leaders of men, yes. Leaders of men. Leaders of industry. Haven't I proved myself on the field of battle? So future Kevin walks into your apartment. Uh-huh. Your wife screams and like passes out. So it's just the two of you. Yeah. And he, he's like, sit down. You need to listen to this. I'm sitting down and listening. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean. What if he tries to make out at you? <laughs> yeah. And this is what we do in the future. <laughs> Come here, quick. <laughs> you came back in time just to make out with me? <laughs> We do this four days and six hours in the future. Everyone makes out with themselves. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely listen. I guess I'm predisposed to this because I like time travel movies, so yeah. I'm pretty well-versed in the rules and regulations that go but, on. But then again, you're also well-versed in the ways of the double cross. I am. <laughs> so... 
it could be any number of things. It could be a clone. It could be a robot. You know, who knows? That's a really good question. Parallel universe, Kevin, as opposed to time travel, Kevin. That's even worse. Is it, how, first off, nothing's worse. They're both awesome. <laughs> he's evil, Kevin. Oh, my doppelganger? Yes, he's a fat load. He comes in. He's like, look at this guy. Okay, so they decide to try to send a no back in time. Why not? The explanation they gave was stupid to begin with. So apparently this field, this wormhole that they're looking through, gets activated with a laser grid from Resident Evil. And that green light. Yeah, magic yeah. This light. magic green Resident Evil laser beam sends the paper back in time and it materializes on the desk like a corny effect from Star Trek, the original, not the next generation. And unfortunately, Denzel Washington does not get to see the note. His partner does. Uh-oh, see where this is going. I like this a lot, actually. Denzel well, Washington did. created this kind of causality loop and because he wrote that note, it sent his partner on this wild goose chase that led to the partner finding Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel murders him. So Denzel Washington is directly responsible for the death of his partner. Not only that, but after that, Denzel Washington realizes that this that Jim Caviezel's character had a truck to put a bomb in before his partner showed up and started shooting holes in. So not only did he kill his partner, he killed this woman too. Yeah, I mean, right then, how does he not say, All we right, gotta let's... stop. Nothing we do is gonna change this, right? Obviously, whatever they're gonna do... It's already happened. It's already happened, and yet the boat still blows up. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Well, that's what Adam Goldberg says, right? Exactly. He says that over and over again. It's like, it's done. It's over. Yeah. Nothing that you can do is gonna change it. Denzel won't listen, though, man. He, he won't... He's, he's he's so intelligent up until this point, and then he just becomes so stupid. But then the movie would just end, right? Right. No, every, like, oh, I guess we can't do anything about it. See ya. Denzel Washington is... Uh, he's a genius. He's a detective. He's Batman-level detective, okay? He is maybe not that good, but... Yeah. But when you have a, a, a time machine in a time machine movie, you have to use it, right? It's I stupid, agree. though, be, because... Even look, if it fails, that would be the the story. It's like a Sisyphus kind of story. Like, it's you try stupid. hard and you fail anyway. It, it shows that he... That no matter what he does, though, it's going to turn out that way. And and it's already... I mean, as far as, like, predeterminism and free will is concerned, this hammers home that everything is predetermined. He's done it. It's going to happen. He, he just becomes obsessed with this idea of, I'm going to stop this from happening before it does. You know, would that would depress me extremely if I had proof positive proof. <laughs> and if I had proof that the world is predeterministic, like free will is an illusion and everything you do doesn't matter. Like it's already been chosen for you. I guess you would you would keep trying to do things to prove otherwise, right? You would, you would you turn go in, crazy. You would turn into Dr. Manhattan. Nice. Okay, so Denzel Washington decides that he is going, that they're still going to try and figure out who this killer is. They track him and he puts on Google Glass. Oh, yeah. I saw Virtual Boy. It, Virtual Boy? I saw All right, it. sure. All right, fine. So he puts on this... Oh, this thing is so ridiculous. He puts on this ridiculous helmet and gets in the Twister chaser car and <laughs> follows this the bad guy around the city. So this is a very interesting concept. So what's happening here is Denzel Washington is wearing these magic goggles, okay? That's, that's Back, what it is, right? Magic? They're magic goggles. Mm-hmm. Back in the headquarters, they're watching Jim Caviezel drive away from this crime scene. And the problem is that they can only see back in time in this certain area radius. Once you exit that zone, you, you're not visible to the machine anymore. So they have to track him somehow. And the machine's gigantic, right? Yeah. It's it's like the collider over in CERN. It's so big. Yeah, so what they do is they give Denzel Washington these magic goggles and when he puts them on, he sees into the past. So Denzel Washington is, essentially has a car chase with a person who's four days in the past. Mm-hmm. So he's driving around modern day. He's viewing from his right eye. He sees modern day. And in his left eye, he's seeing four days 
days ago. Just like Spike Spiegel. This is a very interesting concept, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine trying to drive on, on a highway with one eye you have traffic, the other eye you have traffic? Yeah. Not only does he do that, he does it going the wrong direction on yeah. a highway. He is doing it, and it's so difficult. He kills people, right? Oh, Innocent oh, yeah. civilians. Yeah. He kills Flat them. Like, Absolutely. He hits this one guy's car. It flips in the air a billion times, and you can see just blood explode. Like, the guy just exploded from the <laughs> G-forces. <laughs> yeah, he, he killed about 549 people during this car chase. Yeah, the theory about <laughs> that were on the boat. He, <laughs> he killed, killed them. So now the, the death count in this movie is up to well over a thousand people. Well, what do you think of this concept of chasing like a ghost? Very cool. I was fine with it. It was awesome. I loved it. I'm still all in on this movie. I'm loving this movie. Yeah? Yeah, I'm having a really good time. Well, they, he finds Jim Caviezel's hideout, and it's interesting because in modern day, the hut, or the little shack, is completely blown up, and there's an ambulance in it. And mm-hmm. Desert Watch is like, what the hell happened here? But in the past, they see through the goggles, they see Jim Caviezel running around, he kills the uh, other Partner. ATF agent, yeah, feeds him to the crocodiles. Yeah, this is pretty interesting stuff. Okay, so to make a long, to make a long story short, they use this technology to catch the terrorist, and this guy is a little crazy. He he's essentially just he's a complete nut. He believes all these weird things about patriotism and destiny and a lot of stupid stuff. Denzel Washington somehow is not only an ATF agent and an FBI agent and a theoretical physicist and a time traveler, but he's also a world class detective interviewer. And he he's the one that interviews somebody who perpetrated the largest domestic terrorist attack on our country. Mm-hmm. I loved this interrogation scene. These Why? guys were both really good. Really good. Caviezel, and he's really good at playing like a psychotic person. I don't know, man. When it comes to, yeah, it's that bad interrogation scenes, nothing's topping Gerard Butler <laughs> in Law Abiding Citizen. Co-signed. Okay, so at this point, Denzel Washington is like, screw this. I'm going back in time. After they went to great lengths to explain that he would definitely die when he did that. Yeah, he's just like Pitbull. To understand the future, we have to go back in time. Ooh, right. So <laughs> Valk... Pick it up what I'm putting down. Well, they catch they catch the killer. They catch him and kill him. <laughs> catch him and kill him. <laughs> Oh, they get <laughs> and the, the everyone wants to shut the case down. They're like, we got him. There's nothing else to do here. Let's move along to the next thing. But Denzel, he, he can't let go of the girl. She's too hot. She's too hot. She's way too hot. He fell in love across time. Like the lake house? Just like the lake house. So he, all of a sudden, we're in a hospital? Yeah, they teleport him into a hospital. Genius. Yeah, I like this. I was like, whoa, what, what's happening here? When the doctor is like, who the hell's that guy? And they cut his shirt off. We get to see those buff pecs. And on his bulging pectorals, the phrase, revive me, was etched. <laughs> With white out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's having like a stroke. He's convulsing. He's going crazy. The doctors, they uh, throw the paddles on him. They shock him a few times. Back to life. Something like that happens. The cops are called, right? If you walk into a hospital with a gunshot wound, cops are called. They're coming in. Yeah. If something like that happens where a man magically materializes out of nowhere and it says revive me the cops are coming probably no questions asked there's cops are coming unless the only thing i can think of is doctors wouldn't think that he just appeared right if you're a doctor in that situation you're gonna assume that someone in your hospital screwed up and left the guy with a just sitting in the back me and he the was there the whole time they were like in the middle of surgery what are they gonna do assume he materialized out of nowhere how yes. do you get into the or <laughs> How do you get in there? Exactly. They're going to think someone screwed up. They're not. Gonna, a- they're going to cover their own butts. Maybe. He gets out of the hospital, and the first thing he does, and I can't believe that he's doing it, is he steals an ambulance. Yep. He knows 
that at some point in the future, in his current timeline that he's now in, in the future, an ambulance is going to blow up at Jim Caviezel's shack house. Why does he take an ambulance? I'm going to propose that he didn't even think of it, and even if he did, it's predetermined. That will happen no matter what. Yeah, he rescues the girl. He saves her right before Jim Caviezel cuts her fingers off. Yep. Which I thought was pretty cool. He saves her. They go back to her apartment. And when he's in her apartment, he finds all the this bloody rags in the garbage can, which is what he saw in her apartment the first time around. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me. He's like, damn it. I haven't changed a damn thing. It's The boat's still going to explode. I haven't done anything. This has all been a waste of time. I thought that was awesome. That was great. Okay, so Denzel goes to this boat to try and stop the explosives that Jim Caviezel has planted in the truck there. And he brings the girl along with him. He feels that leaving her behind is what he would have done in the past, and that amounts to failure. So he feels that bringing her with him might change the course of events, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It doesn't. At this point for him, I would have accepted that nothing is going to change and that whatever he does has happened in the past. But he goes to the boat anyway with her, and the terrorist catches the woman, which is understandable. He told her to, like, go to the cops. Go to the cops. But what does she do? She has to be a hero. She jumps back on board. Yeah, Caviezel catches her, but he doesn't kill her, sadly. No. (laughs) Jim Caviezel, he gets spotted by one of the cops that are on this boat full of semen. And Jim Caviezel turns around, blows this guy away, blows the cop behind him away, and then pulls out his submachine Uzi. Blows all these sailors, soldier sailors, away. Yeah, all of a sudden, these, like, military guys show up. I don't know where they came from, but all of a sudden, cars start exploding, too. Where did these guys come from? How did the cars start blowing up? There's just cars on the boat. Yeah, the cars are just blowing up. How did that happen? Yeah, I didn't see any expendables planting C4 on those cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, they pin Jim Caviezel with their car, and Denzel Washington sneaks up with this tourist judge, puts a point blank on Jim Caviezel's head. Boom, headshot. Yeah, it just liquefies to a billion pieces. Mm-hmm. And then, uh-oh, the cops show up. They put a gun in Denzel Washington's head, and he's like, hey, if we don't get this car off this boat, it's going to blow up, and all of this would have been for nothing. Mm-hmm. So, what's he do? He has the girl throw the car into drive, and drive right off the ferry, right into the water, and they're both trapped in the car. Well, somehow she uses her superhuman strength to rip the steering wheel off the truck. He helped her. Yeah, Denzel did that. Yeah, yeah. team, well, Denzel can do that. Team effort. So she gets out and starts swimming away. Mm-hmm. Denzel gets stuck? I don't understand that. How did he get stuck? I have no idea. I saw him kick the windshield out, okay. and the girl swam away, right? That's what yeah. she swam through. Why was he trying to open the door and unlock it and stuff? The car was spinning as the ferry was like riding over it. So I don't know if, I mean, it was very, there's a lot going on. There were really quick cuts. So I don't know if maybe the windshield got I didn't get it. I didn't understand why he was stuck. I didn't understand either. Yeah, it didn't make sense. She swims 40,000 miles under the river and she services, unfortunately, Denzel, not so lucky, a 50 megaton bomb explodes inside the truck and Denzel Washington blows up. Yeah, very interesting ending, right? His time duplicate essentially is destroyed and this new timeline can begin again. Original Denzel shows up to the crime scene and he meets this woman and like they feel that they had this connection mm-hmm. and the movie ends. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. They have deja vu. Yeah. Very interesting kind of twist, huh? He had to die, right? Yeah. because yeah. Otherwise there'd be two, two of them. Two Denzels, right? That's just nature writing itself, I guess. That's nature versus yeah. nurture. That's exactly what it was. Absolutely. That's absolutely what that is. And so that is deja vu. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie.
Deja Vu cannot escape the weight of its murky science, action film formula, and preposterous ending. Scott Bowles, USA Today. An action flick in which the gaudy pyrotechnics are nowhere near as jaw-dropping as the screenplay that name-checks not one, not two, but three national tragedies. Manila Dargis, New York Times. And finally, Ed Wood, notorious as the worst director in history, could have made the $80 million Jerry Bruckheimer time travel thriller Deja Vu for about $99.95 and it would have been just as believable. Okay guys, this movie currently holds a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, but is it really that bad? Not at all. The acting is good, the story is fun. I really like these sci-fi kind of movies and I also like the detective procedural aspect to it. I thought that there was nothing terrible about this movie. I thought that all in all it was good. I'd I'd say what is it, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes? That's too low. I think that this is probably like a 70. I, I give it a high three, maybe. Eh, I want to give it a four, but just lacking something. Give it a solid three out of five. Yeah, as I said, I was riding high on this movie. I had really high hopes late into this movie. It definitely disappointed me at the end. My biggest problem is everything that they did up to a certain point just fulfilled the destiny as it was unfolding. But then Denzel did something different at some point, right? I mean, the boat, the ferry doesn't blow up. The girl doesn't die. I don't know what he did differently this time. I don't know why all of a sudden that changed. All of their actions just led to the same fate and then all of a sudden something changed and they didn't explain it. It was at a four and then the ending causes me to drop it to a three. Yeah, I'm going to drop a three out of five on this one too. Although I did enjoy a lot of it, I really like the time travel aspect to it. There's something missing to this movie. I don't know what it is. Just like Martin said, there's I can't put my finger on it, but there's something off about this movie. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the dialogue or the scenarios. I don't know. It's a bit long too. I don't think it needed to be as long as it was. This could be a little more compact. But yeah, but still, it's a lot better than some of the other crap that I've seen in my life, you know? Time travel stuff is really easy to screw up. I think they did a decent enough job with the concept. I had a fun time with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, three out of five. Okay, let's read some listener mail. Dane writes in and says, Hey guys, first off, let me say how surprised I am that everyone you talk to hates Equilibrium because everyone I've talked to loves it. This love extended to a unique experience connection with this movie. When I was in college, I was cast in a production of the Greek classic Oedipus the King. The director loved Equilibrium so much he based elements of his concept design around it. I included a photo for a visual example, but in true yes that bad fashion, I won't say who I am or if I'm there at all to keep my identity a secret. Lastly, because of the love for the movie from the director, the first time I ever saw Equilibrium was at the cast party for this show. Keep up the great work, Dan. Awesome. He sent me a picture. I'll put it online so everybody can see it. Okay, BD writes in and says, Gentlemen, I greatly enjoyed the last episode. However, I found myself wincing whenever you referred to Kevin Bacon's manly parts. Not mind you from discomfort, but from the desire to correct you. Years ago, friends of mine who had discovered Mr. Bacon's proclivity towards frontal nudity, he's approaching Harvey Keitel levels, came up with the proper terminology for this actor's junk, his Kevin Bacon bits. Furthermore, after I had managed to calm down about the aforementioned misnaming, one of your previous emailers began listing Dolph Lundgren's many achievements, which included a reference to Mr. Lundgren's many parts as well. I just so happened to have two, one invented by a friend, one my own invention, ways of referring to his junk. The first would be to speak of his dimpled Dolph balls. The second would be to mention his mighty Lundgren. Contrary to to this impression, I am no doubt giving, I do not otherwise 
why I spend a great deal of time thinking about actors' genitalia. In fact, I'm relatively sure that these two actors are the only two for whom I have special junk nicknames. When these two actors and references to their manhoods come up in the same show, I figured it was a sign I should share these with the world. Love the show. Keep the good work. Kevin, what are your thoughts on this? Very important news. Kevin, have you ever written a really long email about penises? About some guy's genitalia that you don't I know? I mean, I have a job. Okay, so... That involves yeah, genitalia. Yeah, involves genitalia, right? Writing, writing really long emails yeah. about the names That's, that you've everyone given does that at work, specific right? people's genitalia. We all do at work all day long. That top ten worst emails <laughs> <laughs> ever received. <laughs> yes, that bad wrote of course. <laughs> Okay, Iggy Star writes in and says, In a previous fan email, someone mentioned the rules to the Yes at Bad drinking game. I might be wrong, but there seems to be a glaring omission to this game. What happened to taking a drink anytime a statement of extreme exaggeration, especially with numbers, is made? When something in a movie looks to be 100 feet tall, you guys will make it 10 trillion miles tall. <laughs> when something is hot in a movie, say a fire, those flames will be 915 billion degrees hot <laughs> and I say instead of taking a beer or drown or downing one shot per incident the person should drink quadruple the amount of any regular drinking game <laughs> one would be drunk or dead <laughs> by the end of the episode I am in complete and absolute solidarity with this person's rule <laughs> a little backstory here so this email came in a couple days ago so my girlfriend was in the room and I read this out loud to her and when I was reading it then, I started laughing at the <laughs> exaggeration. And she confided in me that she says she thinks that this is the worst of all the yes at bed running gags. She hates it the most. I think that this is by far the greatest. It's my favorite. Yeah. I'm like I'm reading this like the tenth time I've read this email and I've laughed every time. <laughs> yeah, the exaggerated numbers thing. We're gonna beat that like a dead horse. I'm never right? gonna stop. That makes me laugh every time. Every time. Martin gets credit for that though. Do you know Martin invented that? Do you know when? Do you remember when? I don't. I don't even remember. You the first instance of the exaggerated numbers, I can pinpoint it. It was in the back. Batman and Robin episode when they showed them in Arkham Asylum. Do you remember how tall Arkham Asylum was? And they jumped off of it? Oh, yeah. When they jump off the cliff at Arkham Asylum <laughs> and they fall 20 billion feet. <laughs> they just have an airplane. <laughs> they just have an airplane. <laughs> they land in the water and they survive. That was the first instance of the exaggerated numbers and one of the biggest laughs I've ever had on this show. Albatross writes in and says, Hey guys, Albatross here with an introspective question for you. We all have our childhood classics, our favorite genres, and those special movies for date movies and whatnot that stay with us our whole lives. Or sometimes you see a movie for the first time that has a profound effect on you. But my question goes a little deeper, perhaps beefier. Rather than a particular movie, do any of you gentlemen have a moment or experience that changed your movie preferences or the way you view film? Mine, for example, was back in 2006. I was 19 years old. A friend of mine had gotten out of basic training and we're living in a dilapidated house in a small town, pretty much wasting our lives. We started going to this video rental store renting VHS tapes at the awesome deal of five movies, five days for five bucks. We would burn through these 
movies in a matter of two days or so, then rent five more. DVDs didn't come with this sweet deal, so we only rented newer DVDs on weekends. Seeing that we were young, beefy military guys, albeit only National Guard, preoccupied with getting drunk and getting laid in that order, our movie choices stayed with what I thought at the time were awesome flicks. Basic action movies, horror movies, blockbuster summer movies. Then came a day for no reason at all. We rented five random movies that we really knew nothing about. We picked out The Ghost in the Shell, Blue Velvet, Grizzly Man, Split Second, and Joe the King. None of these movies really stuck with me, but I knew immediately that I had spent most of my life watching terrible, thoughtless movies. It completely changed my movie choices. How about you guys? Have any of you had those deep, cathartic moments? P.S. I should mention that the DVD VHS player we had would actually eat the tape. And the DVDs... <laughs> the tape. <laughs> the DVDs would only play if we had a can of tile grout perched precariously on the top of the disc drive. And we survived off of about 20 pounds of beef that we kept packing into a snowdrift in our backyard because our freezer didn't work. Wow. That is awesome. Okay, so what shaped your movie going references? I keep mentioning how The Watchmen was a groundbreaker for me. Completely changed my movie habits. That was a nightmare of a film because of it. And I want to save that until we actually review that movie some point. I think that I've watched more movies than the average person. Like, I've just always watched more movies than the average person. And I didn't realize that until pretty recently. I thought that most people watched a lot of movies. Like I think Joe Schmo watches three movies at most per year. New releases. I think three is really pushing it. Yeah, I agree. For Joe Schmo. Yeah, I I had assumed that people watch, you know, 15 to 20 to 30 new releases a year like I did. They only go to the big summer movies. Yeah, I was completely surprised when I found out that people had only saw like three or four new releases a year. That was insane to me. I thought that most people had seen almost almost all of them like I did. But, um, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just was really into watching movies always. I, I'm going to say my Spider-Man 3 is to me what Watchmen is to Joel. That completely changed my movie going habits. As far as my movie tastes, Murderball was the first documentary that I saw that I really liked and that got me into documentaries which I still am today like I'll seek out a good documentary a lot okay thanks for those emails guys if you want to contact us you can reach us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com okay now it's time for the question of the week and if you could have dinner with any actor living or dead who would it be and what would you talk about and what would you eat too Head on over to YesThatBad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. Okay, now it's time to announce next week's movie. And tonight's movie was sponsored by Ray. If you want to pick the next movie that we review on this show, head on over to YesThatBad.com. At the top of the page, there's a little donate button. Or you can click on the sponsor link. For, for the minimum donation of $50, you too can decide the fate of Yeah, It's That Bad. Just like Denzel Washington and Deja Vu, you can change the course of the future with your actions. Mm. Okay, tune in next week when we will be reviewing the Val Kilmer classic Willow. Not enough Val Kilmer movies, but we're getting mm-hmm. we're getting back into it. Yeah. Let's let's Kilmer it up. <laughs> Catch him Kilmer. Whoa! <laughs> okay, if you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook. You can do that at facebook.com slash yeah, that bad. You can follow the show on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. You can follow Marnie yeah, it's Marnie. You can follow Kevin at yeah, it's Kev. You can listen to the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher. You can get that at stitcher.com slash yeah, it's bad. And don't forget, you can still download our 
our premium podcast, The Last Airbender, at yeahitsthatbad.bandcamp.com. And before we go, we have one last message to Lee. She's turning 24. Happy, Happy birthday! birthday! It's my car. Yeah, no, he's a, he, he's a real freak on a leash in this episode. All right, okay. You know, a lot of things slide. Corn references. They gotta go. No, the, no Jonathan Davis references on this show. That's an edict right now. Uh, do we have to put our hands in? Oh, yeah. That's it, everybody. Put them in. No corn. <laughs> no. That is so gay. <laughs> that is so gay. Joel just tickled the inside of my pocket. <laughs> that, was, that was weird. That was weird. That was some really weird stuff, man. It was really weird. That was really weird. If, I can't even look at you in the eye. If, if all hands in is like an, an affirmation, what I just did is like an addendum to the, like the rules. Addendum? <laughs> I felt like you molested me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating like a pig. <laughs> I'm sweating because I was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Some guys just don't get it. <laughs> Kelsey's gonna suffocate. Listen, some guys have all the luck. Some guys have all the fame. Some guys do nothing but complain. Oh my god. Oh my god. Let's get back on track here.